When I was a student at the Moody Bible Institute, every year in the first week of February was Founders Week. And it was an exciting time because they, they brought in all the preachers from all over the country and sometimes all over the world to preach the Word of God. And it was, it was one of those, it was like drinking out of a fire hose kind of thing, you know? You're blown away from one guy's teaching. You're looking at the Word and you're, oh, woe unto me, God, for I am undone. And then the next guy, now turn with me, like, hold on a second. And the one particular year... The finale of the whole week was Billy Graham. Talk about bringing in the big guns, you know. And I had a friend who, uh, who actually volunteered for the event. And, uh, and he was one of the guys that, uh, you know, when everybody got up, when they're singing, just as I am, you know, to Billy Graham. You know, they start walking up down the aisle. And, and he was one of the volunteers to meet with these people. You know, and uh, it was kind of earlier in the week, and uh, and and uh, certainly the the preaching was done, and the altar call was made. You know, kind of a thing of the past these days, it seems. And he saw a guy that just looked agitated. You know, he was looking and thinking and squirming. And so he thought, I'll just go up and talk to him and see how he's doing, if everything's okay. And, and, and he, he just appeared to be under some conviction maybe about some sin. And so he said, sir, are you okay? He says, yeah, just, you know, I'm listening to this. He's like, do you feel like maybe the Spirit of God is drawing you to a relationship with God? He's like, yeah, I think, I think maybe he is, you know. I mean, I've done some things. And, and my friend says, do you want to you go up now? I mean, do you want to go and put your trust in Christ, make it public, walking down publicly, making it known? It's like, well, I think I do, but I was going to wait for Billy Graham. <laughs> what an odd thing. You know, it seems that people have gotten it in their mind because of events like this that, that only the big guns can really lead people to Christ. I mean, you've got to have that Bible school degree or maybe seminary or you, you have to have been following Christ for like decades. You know, but those new believers, those... You know, those kind of in-betweeners, you know, they've been there for a while, but somebody talks about evangelism, they're like, only doesn't mean me. It's a weird thing. And so I thought maybe in this series entitled Friends Tell Friends About Jesus, that we would look at some interesting characters and, and how God brought them to faith in Christ and the different kind of people that God used. It is my intent this morning to encourage you right where you are to tell your friends about Jesus. So I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scripture this morning and turn with me in the Gospel of John and chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to take a look at the, the beginning stages of, of the disciples here this morning and see how God used various people to bring them to faith in Christ. 
So John chapter 1, we're going to pop in at verse 35. Verse 35. Again, this morning we're looking at the different kind of people that God used in people's life to draw them into a relationship with God through Christ. Well, the first kind of person we see right off here in verse 35 is God used the preacher. I mean, this guy was teaching the Bible. He was the last Old Testament prophet. The, the New Testament, as it were, as far as the covenant with Christ, um, had not yet been, uh, well, we're going to talk about that a little later here, this covenant in Jesus' blood had not been begun yet. And of course, that Old Testament prophet is, is John the Baptist, John the Baptist. Well, take a look, if you will. And one of the things that we're going to discover right away here is that at least two of Jesus' disciples were first disciples of John. You know, so they, they already seem to have a, a head start, as it were. And you remember John the Baptist was, was preaching a message of repentance, turning back to Yahweh, going back uh, uh, to trusting him, to honoring him, to worshiping him. It was a call back, you know? But he also had a very special role in, in regards to Jesus as preparing the way for Jesus' ministry to begin. And you'll notice here in verse 35, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now he had already said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we see the imagery here going all the way back, you know, to uh, the Passover back in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 12. Um, God had told these people who were slaves in Egypt that they were to take a lamb, a lamb without spot, not the sickly looking one in the back, but to take the best. And that lamb was to be sacrificed and its blood applied to their doorposts and the top and the sides. And that when they did that, the angel of death would pass over their house. It was an act of faith. I mean, imagine, you know, well, we just cleaned up the place, and now we got blood all over the doors. I mean, you can see how a lot of people might argue, well, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, we've been saving this for Aunt Ethel's visit, and, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, you can see all kinds of excuses that would erupt. But Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God that would die for the sins of the world, you know? And, and, and so here he is teaching about Jesus now, pointing his disciples to Jesus. And note what happened. These people, these disciples, two of future disciples of Jesus, you know, first were following John and they trusted his teaching. When John said, behold the Lamb of God, they listened. Now, the two disciples here, verse 37, heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, John understood his ministry. His ministry was not to gather followers. You know, John, you'll see in chapter 1, he says, who are you preaching the Bible? Are you the one? Are you the prophet? Are you, I mean, are you the Messiah? No. 
but I'm going to tell you who is. You know, John had no problem sending off these guys who had followed him well off to follow Jesus. That was his ministry. And notice here, they trusted his teaching. Two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And I want you to notice here in verse 38, when they met Jesus, they followed him. So Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi. And as John's practice, he always interprets these Jewish words. He says, which means teacher. Where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour, about 10 in the morning. You know, and... uh, and, and this, this following, this transition from following a, a religious leader into following Jesus himself took place that day. And so, so God used a pastor. I mean, here's the guy. He's just out preaching the word. And you know what? Those guys tend to have, you know, it's the guys that are fishing that catch fish. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, like I've sat in my living room and I've never yet had a bass come flowing down the hallway, you know? It's the guys fishing that catch fish. You know, so preachers who preach the gospel, guess what? People hear the gospel and trust Christ. So God uses people who communicate the gospel. That's what happens. It makes sense, right? But it's not just preachers here. Friends, we're not wrapping up, giving an illustration, and going home yet. Because it isn't just preachers who God uses. Take a look here, friends. You know, I'll notice here with me in verse 40, God also used just a loving family member. That makes sense, doesn't it? I wonder if that just hit a spot with anybody. I wonder if it was a parent, a mother, a father who led you to faith in Jesus Christ, who explained the gospel and who lived it out, who showed you what Christian character looked like, and all of it was just tugging at your heart said, I want to trust Jesus. Notice here, if you will, one of the two, one of those two who once followed John, who are now following Jesus, is identified. And that was Andrew. Andrew. One of the two who heard John speak, followed Jesus, verse 40, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I know that guy. Andrew, we may have heard of when we were a kid somewhere along the line, but Peter, we know. We like to make fun of Peter, don't we? Like, oh yeah, that guy was always popping off, wasn't he? And that was the one who led the disciples, who led the others. It seems the people who don't make mistakes rarely make anything at all. It's those people jumping in. Yeah, they may get wet every once in a while. But friend, that Peter, he was all in. I'll tell you, he's, he's a hero of mine. He ain't perfect, but neither am I. But he followed Jesus. And when I thought of this, I instantly thought of a guy named Edward Kimball. Now, those of you in the Moody crowd, you know, I know that guy. <laughs> We've heard about that guy a hundred times, maybe just in the last week, you know. But Edward Kimball was just a, a Sunday school teacher. You know, he wasn't some big famous guy with a radio show or anything. He was just a guy teaching Sunday school to some kids, you know. And there was a guy in his class named Dwight, you know. And one of the, the, the convictions that, that, that Kimball had was, I want all of my students 
to know Jesus. I, I don't want them just to learn the Bible. I want them to know Jesus. And so he visited every one of the kids in his, his Sunday school class. You know, and it was Edward Kimball that led Dwight Lyman Moody to faith in Christ. You know, the world is filled with people like Edward Kimball. You know, what did, what did they ever do? Well, they were faithful in communicating the gospel to the lost. And God used D.L. Moody to preach to millions on various continents, you know, and millions of people came to faith in Christ through that guy's ministry. God used him in a powerful way. But it all started with a guy named Kimball. And so here's Andrew. And Andrew was, was a guy, a, a bringer, as it were, you know? I mean, he was always bringing people and things to Jesus, you know? When they were out, Jesus preaching by the lake, you know, and it's about dinner time. And, and his disciples said, Jesus, send them home so they can get something to eat. Well, there isn't any place to go. The McDonald's is closed by now. He says, well, let's see what we got. And it was Andrew that found the boy with the stuff. You know, hey, here's Jesus. Andrew was a bringer. He would go find stuff, go find people, bring them to Jesus. You know, and he immediately, he told his brother. Look at here in verse 41. The moment uh, Andrew comes to faith in Christ, he's like, I got to tell my brother. I mean, my brother has got to hear about this. And notice, he immediately told his brother in verse 41, Verse 41 tells us he first found his own brother, Simon. And then the scripture says he spoke to him. And he said to him, we have found the Messiah. And there's John again, which means Christ. Messiah is a Hebrew term, Mashiach. It, it, it means the anointed one. Christ is a Greek form of that word. But all of these referencing Jesus the one that God had chosen, the one that God had prophesied about, spoken through all these prophets from years ago. And he brought him to Jesus. Look at here in verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. It's what loving family members do. I mean, friends, we are quick to talk about a deal, a coupon, a sale, a I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on, a new idea. We want to tell the people we care about. We get something good, we want to share it. And that's what Andrew did. I got to tell my brother about this guy. I mean, this is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, the one we've been waiting for has finally come. And look at what happened. Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas which means Peter. And the beginning of the changing of Peter from the bumbling, excitable guy who's pulling out his sword and jumping out into the lake and all kinds of craziness becomes the guy that stands up and preaches the gospel and acts and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. I'll tell you, God uses everyone. You know, it wasn't Andrew that stood up and preached that sermon. It was Peter. But God used a loving brother to tell his family member about Jesus. It's a good practice, my friend. I wonder already if the Spirit of God isn't tugging already and saying, you know, going to get together like we did on Christmas, and they're going to be there, and they hate it, and they hate when we talk about Jesus. 
but you need to tell them, friends. They need to know about Jesus, how Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead, how they need to put their trust in him. My friends, you got to tell them because friends tell friends about Jesus and so do loving family members. Well, I notice another way that people came to faith in Christ. Look at here in verse 43. It was a personal call from Jesus himself. But I want you to notice some specifics about this. First off, Jesus chose to prefer, per, pursue this person. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. I want you to notice that this is not an accident. This was intentionality. God went specifically to Galilee to inter interact with Philip. And I want you to notice how specific this was. It wasn't about the weather. It wasn't about the bills. It wasn't about the bulls. My friends, it was about himself. And he called him to follow. He chose to pursue him. Jesus found him where he was. Whatever it was he was doing, whatever was going on in his life, the only thing that truly mattered was intersecting into his life with Jesus. And he said to him, follow me. Two words. Think about that. Two words. I mean, the Bible is this thick, you know. I've got shelves full of people trying to explain it, you know. Jesus said two words, follow me. Think about that. Now, I think practicality, uh, there was a double meaning for that. One was, I'm going this way, come with me. But another one was this, what I teach, you do. You do all you can to understand it and begin to implement it into your life. Follow me. Perhaps some of the best words to describe what it means to be a disciple is one who follows. A one who is not determining their own course. A one who follows the one who sets the course. Follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. What a coincidence. Hmm. Jesus pursued him. Jesus found him where he was. And he called him to follow and I want you to notice the impact of Philip's life. You see, we get this personal call from Jesus, and that happens. You know, we've got this unique visions and dreams that happen in various parts of the world where there isn't a Bible 10 feet from everybody in the nation. You know, God does what he can. He does what he will to accomplish his plan. And in this case, he didn't send someone off. He went himself. And so now Philip is following Jesus. And so what have we discovered here? Sometimes God uses a preacher. Sometimes God uses a family member. And sometimes Jesus just goes directly to them. That's pretty rare, friends. Not a lot said here in verse 43 and 44 other than Jesus drew this, this man to himself, Philip. But I want you to notice here in verse 45. Sometimes God just uses a caring friend. And you know why? Because friends tell friends about Jesus. 
Well, I hope that one bounces around in your head for a while. I hope the Spirit of God pulls that from your memory when you're in communication with a friend and they're talking about God or religion. And he used that as an opportunity to say, hey, wait a minute, I got a question. What do you believe about? And boom, there you are. Friends tell friends about Jesus. Now, Nathaniel, who we're about to read about, Philip found Nathaniel here in verse 44, is traditionally identified as Bartholomew that appears in all these lists of disciples. And what's the deal with the names then? Well, he appears here after Philip in all of the lists. There's Philip, then Nathaniel, in all of the lists of all of the disciples, that's the way it appears. And apparently, chronologically, that's how it happened. Because God used Philip to draw him to himself. So he appears here after Philip and, you know, and uh, Bartholomew, the name itself, Bar meaning son of Ptolemy. Well, the son of Ptolemy surely has a name of his own, doesn't he? And Nathaniel is likely the person that we're talking about here. But I want you to notice this. So Philip comes to faith in Christ. God the Son comes and says, follow me. And think of this. The very first thing Philip does is a lot like Andrew. Philip found Nathaniel. And he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, the one that we have been looking for, tells us something about him already, the fact that he had been looking and waiting for the Messiah to come. And I suppose that's how Philip knew to go tell him, look, you're religious. We know you know the word of God, but do you know Jesus? And Philip went and told Nathanael, and he said, we have found him. Of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But I want you to notice this. His friend had doubts. Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth? I don't remember hearing anything about Nazareth. Well, Jesus was in Nazareth, but we know he's from Bethlehem, the city of David. The city in which he was born. You may have heard of that one Christmas ago, huh? But I want you to notice this, friends, not only inviting him to trust in Jesus, to come and follow Jesus, he helped his friend overcome doubt. Sometimes that's what it looks like. Sometimes it's not, hey, come and follow Jesus. Let me tie my sneakers. You know, sometimes it's, well, how do you know he's the one? I mean, what is he doing in Nazareth? Because everything in the Bible says Jerusalem. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, he helped him overcome the doubts. Philip said to him, come and see. The end of verse 46. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. You know what that means? That's success. I want to clearly delineate this here for you, friends. Philip encouraged Nathaniel to come and investigate the claims of Christ, who Jesus is. And you know what success is? Communicating. It is what God calls us to do. It is what we are called to be, is, is people who reflect the character of Christ and communicate 
the words of Christ, the gospel message about Christ. And he did it. The results are about what God does. You can't save anyone. You can't. Now, let me tell you what you can do. You can talk your kids into agreeing to anything you say. You can tell them about a guy who dresses in red and rides around on reindeer. You know? I mean, you can do that. You can tell them about uh, a fairy who likes teeth. I mean, you can, you know, you can tell them all kinds of stuff. But friends, only God can draw someone to himself. Our role is to communicate the gospel. Our role is not to save anyone. We cannot. But friends, we are responsible before God to communicate that message. That's why we talk about it so much on Sunday. I mean, aren't you thankful that someone told you? Aren't you thankful that in in all of their lives and all of their busyness and all of the things they could have been doing, they took time to include it for you? You know? I mean, who did God use to draw you to Christ? The fact is, it was most likely a series of events. Be an interesting afternoon to trace it, though, wouldn't it? All of the little interactions with God about his word, about the gospel that you had before you came to a point in your life where you realized, I'm a sinner, I'm separated with God, that's what's wrong with my life. And the only hope and resolution is to seek his forgiveness and watch him change you. My friends, that's what it's all about, people telling people about Jesus, not waiting for someone else. Oh, God, raise up someone else to talk to the person closest to me. Hey, maybe he did. (laughs) You ever think about that? You ever think about that you have the influence of people around you that you do Because God wants you to talk to those people about Jesus. It is is my belief that when I get on an airplane, it is my responsibility to talk to the person around me if they are open. It's like fishing. It is, you know, you throw it out. If the fish ain't hungry, they ain't hungry. But it's my responsibility to cast. And it's yours as well. Not because I'm a preacher. It's because I'm a Christian. And the same is yours, friend. These stories are, are, are so, so familiar for me because it was my experience. I put my faith in Jesus. I began to read the Bible and try and apply it in my life. And my whole outlook changed. My whole life, my, my priorities, everything was starting to change. And it was good. I'm like, I got to tell Steve. Steve was my buddy. Everybody knew Steve if they knew me because me and Steve, we did everything together. And if we were going to do everything together, we had to do this together. So, so I was not, nowhere trained for this. I didn't take a class online because there wasn't an online back then. I didn't have any books about it. I didn't know what I was doing. I just need, knew that Steve needed to know what I knew. And I needed to encourage him to trust Jesus. And he did. You know, within six months, you know, uh, um, you know, I, I found out two months later after he did it, why don't you tell me? I didn't think about it. Why? <laughs> and Steve has led people to faith in Christ since then, you know? But that's what we are about. We're about sharing this message of life change, of eternity change. 
So his friend, his friend ultimately came to faith in Christ. Why? Because he bothered to talk to him. Because he took the risk of how he might respond. He took the risk of how people might view him and the nasty things that people might say about him. But love compelled him to do it. It's what friends do. Friends tell people about Jesus. Friends tell their friends about Jesus. Well, he helped them to overcome those doubts. And his friend ultimately came to faith in Jesus. You know, Philip said, come and see, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? The answer is because he's God. <laughs> yeah. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And Jesus said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. By the way, if you're one to make notations in your Bible, you could underline that. And maybe this afternoon you will see that there are six other people in the Gospel of John that identify Jesus as God. It's one of those sevens in the Gospel of John. Seven individuals point to Jesus and identify him as God. You are the Son of God and you are the King of Israel. That, my friends, is a confession of faith. And he entered into a life of promise and blessing because, notice verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So a quick little study here, my friends of different kinds of people and different relationships of people that God used to bring people to faith in Christ. See, no more excuses. Well, I'm not a preacher. Well, I don't have a seminary education. I've never been to Bible school. Well, the least you can do is get in a small group, you know, the world is filled with books. Trees have been slaughtered all over this planet in order that there might be books that we can study and learn more about how to communicate the gospel. We've done some training here before. We'll do some training again. But the fact is that someone is counting on you to share the gospel. One day they will stand before God, and I wonder if the thought will fly through their head is they are condemned before a holy God. Why didn't anyone tell me? Why didn't anyone tell me? Because we were too concerned about how people would think about us. Because we didn't want to bring up anything uncomfortable. Because we weren't concerned about their soul. <whistles> Heavy stuff, my friends. Heavy stuff. So let's wrap it up, sermon in a sentence. I would suggest to you, friends, that people who have been told about Jesus have a responsibility to tell others about Jesus. People who have been told about Jesus should definitely be telling other people about Jesus. So I ask you this, what's the low-hanging fruit in your life? 
Is that a new expression for you? You know what low-hanging fruit is? It's the stuff where you go like this. Easy. It's right there in front of you. It's, it's not the apple way up there that you need a crane to get to. Low-hanging fruit is the stuff you can just reach out and take. What kind of relationships do you have already with family members? You know what the thing about family members are? They'll call you nasty names and laugh about it or even storm out of the house. But they'll see you next week and talk about what's new. Family members tend to forgive quickly. They can laugh stuff off. Friends, you have these great relationships with people. You have these from birth relationship with people. If they need to know Jesus, you need to tell them. You do. They need to know about Jesus. It's just true. So what's the low-hanging fruit in your life? Is there any business that you have a particularly good relationship with right now? Oh, I have this thing. I go to Meyer's gas station and I buy the, the English toffee coffee there. And I talk to the people every, every day. I go in there, you know. They, I walk in the door. Hey, Dave, how are you doing today? What's going on, man? We got this little snappy thing. You know, I, I've, I've, I, I've, everybody that's there. The, the day that I heard that... Uh, my granddaughter, Claire, had died. I went in there. They could see something was wrong, and they came all around and hugged me. I mean, it's a weird relationship with people at a gas station. But it's low-hanging fruit, friends. It's a relationship with people who need to know Jesus. So what's your low-hanging fruit? I mean, who are the people you know, the people you're with? The people you already have some kind of healthy relationship with. Who is it, friends? Talk to them about Jesus. And I'll tell you this, friends. I know right now you're like, well, I know I should and I'd like to, but no, I can't do I'm not qualified. I don't know what's going on. Friends, nothing will prepare you to tell others about Jesus more than telling others about Jesus. Let me say that again. We wrote it down just so you could read it. Nothing will be better. Nothing will better prepare you to tell others about Jesus than telling others about Jesus. You will never be more motivated to research, to train, to prepare, to, to gather everything you need to know and practice than actually doing it. It's like homework assignments. There's nothing more motivating than a due date. Well, <laughs> I better get on that. So get on it. I mean, why not? Why not? I mean, you believe it? You care about them, don't you? And tell them about Jesus. It's what friends do. Friends tell friends about Jesus. It's what they do. And so get on it. Put it on a calendar. Set some goals. Ask a friend to start praying for you and ask him to hold you accountable for it. Start getting your feet wet in a lifestyle of evangelism. And friends, give the best gift. Tell people about Jesus. It's Christmas time. I mean, think about it. Christmas, it's got the word Christ in it. Boom, there's your opening. All right? I mean, it doesn't take much. There's no fancy bridge making. Well, if I talk about this, then I can lead to this, to that, to that. It doesn't have to be. 
You ask God to lead you to somebody who wants to hear about Jesus, and he will. And he will. He will. So I leave you with this question here. If the gospel, Christianity, was a virus, what are the odds that anyone would catch it from you? 